Welcome to Supercharge My Practice, a podcast dedicated to helping you build a thriving and fulfilling natural therapies business. Each week, your host, Anil Mustafa, interviews leading practitioners and field experts, sharing proven tactics, inspiring stories, and actionable steps that will help you unlock your potential. Supercharge My Practice is proudly brought to you by My Appointments Practice Management System. Welcome you again, Cindy. Thank you for being with us here today. It's wonderful to have you on board. Thank you, Anil. I'm looking forward to this. Excellent. Now, I'm sure you need no introduction. Most people in our health space will probably know who you are, but I will go through and list your incredible accomplishments, starting as a renowned nutritionist, dynamic speaker, podcaster, author, filmmaker, and crusader on a mission to educate as many people as possible about the importance of nutrition. You are a also the visionary force behind Changing Habits, an online store selling ethically sourced organic products. The Nutrition Academy, which has three courses, including a 12-month functional nutrition course, as well as the Fat Loss Protocol. You're a mother, you're a farm owner. When do you get time to sleep, Cindy? <laughs> I have a good team. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can put it down to. I have a great team um, that, you know, like I get to play a lot. You know, I I didn't in the beginning, but I get to play a lot now and I get to play on my farm and I've actually started a new business, but we can talk about that one um, because it was a result of a need and that's one of your questions. So we'll we'll talk about the fourth business that my husband and I just started. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't know about that one. Well, look forward to hearing all about that. Well, there's so much that I want to cover with you, so I'm just going to jump straight in. Now, being a nutritionist, you obviously started in this space doing one-on-one consultations. You moved to one-to-many and then went on to develop all these other businesses. What I'd love to hear is a brief background on how you went from one-on-one consulting to the group and then progressing forward from there and what mindset shifts uh, were instrumental in helping you make this leap. Yeah. So what I realized I was doing is that I was saying the same thing to everybody. So they would come in, they'd have this problem. And back in those days, this is the 80s, you have to realize, this is the early 80s. I didn't have the gut issues that we now see today. There wasn't the complications in health that I saw that I'm seeing today. So being a nutritionist, it was just about improving their diet, getting them onto a real food diet. So they would come in, they'd be eating breakfast cereals and low-fat fat milk and uh, plastic cheese on white bread and maybe, you know, a dinner that was at least something that was worthwhile, so some meat and veg. So all I had to do was teach them about real foods. So I realised what was happening. And, and by the way, we had incredible results back there on, on real foods These days you put them on a real food diet, they're allergic to half of it. So it's a little bit different now, but this is my my thought was I'm saying the same thing. So as as I was saying the same thing, so then it went down on a piece of paper, you know, something like an A4 like this, it went down on, this is what you have to do this week, then that week, and then that week. And then I went, well, what if I um, not only talk to one person? Oh, and by the way, the thing that got me was, One person would do everything and change their life. I have incredible examples of that. And other people would come back to me the next week and I'd say, how are you going? Oh, I'm no better. Why are you no better? Uh, Well, it's too hard. I don't want to do what you're telling me to do, you know. So it it doesn't matter what I said. I said the same thing to everybody. It depended on the person acting. So then my thought was, well, if I spoke to 30 people in a room, so back in those days there was none of this that we're doing now, there was just talking and speaking engagements. So the church next to the clinic that I was working in was available as a community church. So I decided to do a talk for 30 people. So it went to that. And then I realised I was giving the same information about getting off breakfast cereals and margarine and low-fat and all those things and let's go to, you know, um, real food. And in that room, maybe 10 20% might change, maybe 30% might change, but it didn't matter to me. It didn't upset me that I couldn't help them, but I was giving them the information. So the only person I can change is me. I can't change those people, but I can give them information and they can make the choice to change. So I think the mindset was I can I can get to more people. And then the next step from there was I started to write for a paper 
So I was a, a columnist for two years at a local paper, very, very controversial column, as you can imagine, sued by Margarine Association. Uh, the last article I wrote was um, on artificial sweeteners and, and my editor just said, can't, can't put this one in, Cindy, I'll be sued by Coca-Cola. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of went, you know what, if you can't, tell the truth, I'm not prepared to write for you anymore. So from that 100, that went 100 articles that I wrote that then went into a book and that was Changing Habits, Changing Lives. And that was 1998, really before the internet was moving at a fast pace as it is today. Um, And so we sold thousands and thousands of those books. Once again, it wasn't up to me to make people change. It was up to me to give the information. And then all of a sudden I realised that while I was asleep, I was making money. And so instead of me trading my time to make money, no longer was time a factor in that financial gain. I I didn't think of it that way in the beginning. But then all of a sudden I I said to my husband, I said, oh my gosh, we sold a hundred books overnight. You know, just, just things like that. Or um, I would, I would, I remember Maya had my book in, in Brisbane and I had to get 3,000 books to Maya all over Southeast Queensland after I was on a, a program. And we sold 3,000 in a week. You know, we okay. can't get to that many people. Mm-hmm. So for me, this is the progression. And, and this went over a period from 1984 when I graduated from university um, and started consulting in early 85 right through to 98 when I, I wrote my first book. So this wasn't something that you know, me as a 23, 24-year-old figured out. It was just uh, me just following what I felt was the right thing to do. And I loved what I did. I must admit, I loved what I did. So I guess the mindset was, how can I get to more people? That That was what it was. And I realized no longer was I trading my time for my finances. I was now able to accelerate that um, in a, in a really good way because I was helping people at the same time. Yeah, fantastic. I see a lot of, especially nutritionists and naturopaths now moving towards a one-to-many consulting, mm-hmm. and I think largely that comes from the fact that they understand that that's probably an easier, maybe not an easier way, but a quicker way for them to make. A, a larger sums of money compared to doing the one-on-one consultations. For me personally, I feel that that push isn't necessarily a good thing for those practitioners. I think they should be in clinical practice doing one-on-one consulting, becoming really proficient at helping clients one-on-one and then moving more towards that model of one-to-many. Naturally, as practitioners, we want to help as many people as possible. But if you haven't nailed what you're doing in clinical practice, I don't think it's a good leap to jump straight into running programs for people. Do you agree with that? And what would your advice be for those practitioners that are feeling this pressure to move towards developing programs in order for them to be able to uh, make a, a larger income stream? Yeah, I think there's two ways of looking at that. And that is looking at the practitioner mm-hmm. and, and his time. And that is also looking at your clients. Because sometimes clients feel a little bit confronted about sitting with a practitioner for an hour, being told what they should be doing. And sometimes it can be quite confronting. And what they'd rather do is be in a group session where they can hide, (laughs) you know, and they they can. They can hide, um, listen and decide whether they want to do it or not. Whereas sometimes I I think you've got to look at both sides of the coin for that. For some people, they want one-on-one. They don't want to be in a group. For other people, they'd rather be in a group. And for and the, the same goes with practitioners. There's a time for one-on-one. Believe it or not, I still do one-on-one. Oh, wow. Yeah, I still do one-on-one, but for very specific people. So someone who, like, like my daughter's girl, you know, my daughter's friend or uh, you know, people like that, I will do a one-on-one with, and I'll really sit down with them. And I'll say, this is what you need to do. So I will do those because they don't want to be in that group situation or the group situation isn't working for them. Financially, uh, doing group situations and whether that's online or whether that's live uh, is, is it, it fulfills the basis of it's not up to you to make changes in someone's life. It's up to you to give the information and you may as well give information to a thousand people as opposed to one person if it's the same information. So I remember, um, so I was a book, cookbook, and um, 
I think we had salt and a couple of other things on changing habits. And we can talk about how that happened as we progress. But where I got to the program was that I did um, like how to go from bad foods, like like it's the sad diet, standard Australian diet or standard American diet or standard New Zealand diet, whatever it is, how to go from that sad diet into a a real food diet. And, and it was just a, a, I think it was a 21-day program that I did and it did well. And it was online. It was the beginning of online um, stuff. And so it did really well. And then um, I did the fat loss protocol mm-hmm. and it wasn't called the fat loss protocol. It was called pound and inches when I did it. I didn't agree with some of the foods. So I just changed it where they were real foods. Like some of the foods in um, pounds and inches were Grassini and Melba toasts and which is wheat. Um, so I, I basically um, changed it to work for me. And for me, it was incredible. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever done, better than any juice fast I'd ever done, better than any water fast I'd ever done, better than anything I'd ever done. I noticed a significant difference. Now, was that because I was in my 50s and not my 20s and 30s when I was doing juice and water fasts and, um, you know, things like that? I don't know. But I was so excited about it. I wanted to tell my people, you know, the people that were following me. I said, oh, my gosh, I've done the most incredible thing. And then I created that program. And I have to tell you that that's Changing Habits. Changing Habits bestseller is that program. Mm, And then on the back of that um, program is where we sell everything else because then people understand what Changing Habits is about. And it's about real foods and ethical foods and changing how you eat, not just for three weeks, but for life. So, um, you know, if, if I think programs are brilliant, I really do. Programs and protocols are brilliant, whether you choose to do them live or online, but we have, uh, we started very clunky and we have refined it. We now have an app um, and people love it. They absolutely love it. It means that they can for, you know, not too expensive, they can be on a program or a protocol, be coached by people. I have two coaches um, we have customer care. We have all sorts of things that help them through that. So, um, yeah, it, it's it's horses for courses. Like, mm-hmm. look at, for you. You know, you you may love consulting, and I know people who love consulting. My dad, fifty mm-hmm. years a practitioner, fifty years one on one. He loved it. He doesn't want to do anything else. He mm-hmm. didn't want to do group programs or anything like that. So. I think it it depends on the person if they love that one-on-one. I, I just um, interviewed someone yesterday, a medical doctor, an integrated GP, and she's been in clinical practice and she doesn't want to do anything else but clinical practice. Mm. She does retreats. She takes people away on retreats. But So I, I think to say across the board this is what you should do, mm. um, I don't think so. I just know I was frustrated with one-on-one. That was me. Yeah. Was there a timeline? Like I think a new graduate is the ones that I'd be saying mostly they should be spending that time really getting to know clients because I'm seeing new graduates coming out, looking at other practitioners that, like yourself who have been in the industry for quite some time and moving to that one-to-many model and feeling this pressure that this is the only way they can make money. But mm. I think it's important for practitioners to understand that one-on-one consultations, yes, they may not make you as much as what a program might make you, but they're also very fulfilling and they give you the opportunity to really get to know clients and understand what people need in order for you to help them refine yourself to then look at moving on to a program or something that's online where you are one to many. And I agree. Like I did five years of, of just consulting mm-hmm. uh, one-on-one and um, and the speaking didn't come until that last year and then the writing came on the sixth year. So, and I had a baby. You know, that was the other thing. I had a baby. So I, and my husband was a practitioner as well. So he went out to work and I stayed home with the baby. But I, you had so much information in the head. You know, I went to university for six years that I couldn't just sit there and look after a baby. When he was asleep, I would be doing uh, my writings or my ideas or whatever I wanted, you know, to get done. Yeah, that sounds like me. I had a three-month-old baby planning on moving into a new big warehouse, opening up a gym. And most people are like, you just had a newborn baby. What are you doing? I'm like, I just can't sit here when he's sleeping or when you've got that downtime. Your mind's always going about all these ways you can help more people. So I think that's fantastic. And speaking of children, 
you obviously have children. You obviously have an incredible business. How did you navigate your way through motherhood and your and your business? And what kind of advice would you have for practitioners who have younger children who are trying to make a living out of being a natural health practitioner? Oh, yeah. It, that's a toughie. And, and as I said, as I, was, I had a baby, I then moved away from consulting and more went into the space of writing. Uh, and I do remember, like, I homeschooled my kids for three years. So I'm not only writing, I wrote a cookbook while I homeschooled them. So I'd already written Changing Habits, Changing Lives. I was marketing Changing Habits, Changing Lives. I was speaking um, around the country. So, and my husband was with me. We we went on a, a bus tour for two years and we took the book on, on tour. So we homeschooled the kids. We, um, we would go to a town, we would set up a talk 10 days after we'd arrived. And in those days, no, not the internet, no Instagram, no Facebook, nothing like that. So we, we would go to the local radio station. I would go to the local um, newspaper. And if there was a television station there, I'd go there. And in rural areas, they loved this. They wanted, they wanted people like me, um, out there speaking. I remember the biggest speaking engagement I had was in Albany, Western Australia, and we had over 200 people in I think it was a town hall or, or somewhere like that. So as a as a young mum and, and homeschooling young mum, for writing I would get up at 4.30 in the morning and I'd write 4.30 to 6.30 and then the kids would get up and we would homeschool till 9.30. Then from 9.30 onward we would adventure and do the things that we needed to do. So I, you know, I was in a very different situation. But if you do have young children, they do sleep. And I remember writing for the paper, I had a six-month-old. So um, he would go to bed and I'd write for the paper. And in those days, you typed it up and faxed it in. (laughs) (laughs) I had a typewriter. (laughs) A typewriter and I faxed it in. Uh, it's so much easier now. You know, you can get online, you can get your research done. I used to have to go to the, the library and research. And But anyway, um, so there were different times back then. And uh, um, But I, I still think you've still got to cut your teeth um, on, on something that will help you, you know, to to do what you want to do in, in the end. Like it's, everybody wants to be successful straight away. I'm a 43-year-old. 43-year success. That's how long I've been going for, for 43 years. Uh, and, yes, we've had success along the way. But, yeah, with young children, you you do it when they're asleep um, as best you can. I, look, I think consulting with a young child is really hard unless you have a nanny or um, somebody to help you. And, um, you know, nannies are available. As um, I had, um, it's so funny, I had this young nanny um contact me who wanted to work on the farm and um, she was nannying in Adelaide for, for six months and then she contacted me and she said, I'd really love to work on your farm. And I thought, here's a 19-year-old. She just asks me. I met her and I just said, okay, come, come and work on my farm. So this was a nanny from Europe and I know how much the family was paying her. And that's another way of doing it is finding these young nannies that want to live in Australia that may be able to look after your children while you consult. So there are where there's a will, there's a way, mm. you know, where you want to do it. If you want to write, then you write when they're asleep. And I'm a 4.30 in the morning, get up, but other people were good when their, their kids went to bed at 8.30 and they would write till probably 8.30 to 10.30, but you've got to have discipline. Mm. And I think discipline is the key when you have a child. Um, more often than not, you want to sleep or clean the house, but the thing to do is if that's your goal and you want to do something with, you know, your studies and whatever that goal is and you work towards it while they're they're sleeping, yeah, mm-hmm. or be a mother for four years, five years, then go back to it. Mm-hmm. And, and I had to do that at one point. I had to take a year off really doing too much at all um, because I was really, we were at home, I was homeschooling the kids, I didn't have a lot of spare time. And so I just took a year off. I just said, right, for a year, I'm just going to be with my kids, do what I need to do with them. Um, I've done my tour of Australia. You know, my book's out there. Things are going well. And then I got to the point where I said to my husband, I'm ready to go back to work. How about we send the kids back to school? And that's what we, we made that decision and they went back to school. Yeah, great. So you mentioned you get up at 4.30 a.m. Do you still do that now, even though your kids are grown up? And yeah. what time do you go to bed and what does your day look like? <laughs> All right. So I get up 
very early. I meet um, on a rock on the ocean, a friend, and we do a breath session. Uh, And usually, like it depends on, like right at the moment, the sun is almost coming up. You know, we've got daybreak now, usually is black, but now we're getting daybreak. Um, And then we have a coffee together and then we swim in the ocean. So we usually, uh, I was freezing this morning, I can tell you. (laughs) It was icy wind and icy cold. So I swim and then I come home and I get ready for my day. So, yes, even though I'm not needing to write at 4.30 in the morning because I have all day, I'm speaking to you in the middle of the day, which I never used to have. Um, But I do have grandchildren now. I have two and one on the way. And, Mm. like, I... I looked after one of my grandchildren all weekend, last this weekend and last weekend. So, you know, I, I'm still busy. I still have children around me. I'm still doing things. So um, I think you have to be disciplined when you have children and grandchildren. And even when you don't, you still have to be disciplined. Like for me to get up, if I don't get up at that hour, I don't get my breath session in, my coffee in, like it's my, that's my social life. It really is. That is my social life. I know everybody at the coffee shop now. Um, And then my swim, and, you know, I've been swimming for 10 years, ocean swimming for 10 years with this group. So there's a lot of banter and laughter that goes on there. And then I'm back home and I'm working. And what's bedtime for you? Is it an early bedtime given that you're an early worker? Yeah. (laughs) To my husband last night, I said, oh, gosh, I was really hoping it was 8.30 and it was 7 (laughs) o'clock. I've been I sat and did a crossword puzzle just to stop my brain. I, I did a, um, I, I like I'll do puzzles or something like that, or I'll read a book, a novel, not um, an information book. I read a novel and and I'll be I'm asleep by eight thirty, easy. But I I don't watch television. I just I can't stand what is happening on the news, on the advertising, the programming. I just feel it's a waste of my life and my time. I don't even really listen to radio anymore. Mm-hmm. I just have figured out that I'd rather listen to a podcast. So um, I will find a podcast before I get in the car and I'll listen to a podcast. And I love my music. I do love my my 80s and 90s music and I've got a really good playlist. So sometimes I just get in the car and just bop along to music and sing. You could see me yelling through. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Yeah. And on, and on that note, you're obviously somebody who's quite busy and you, you've just said that your mind's always going, so you do your puzzles to stop your mind. Do you find it difficult to switch off from your work, given that, you know, you're, you've got so many hands in so many places managing so many things? Do you find it difficult to switch off? And if so, what are your techniques aside from puzzling that you uh, you implement in order to help you switch your brain off? It is. I do do a lot of um, things that just I have to concentrate on that. I can't concentrate on anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I love cooking and that is something I have to concentrate on. And I try not to use the internet or my phone to cook with, even though sometimes I have to find a recipe I try not to because if you've got your phone near you, messages are coming through or something is happening. And sometimes I may not get to my messages until 8.30 at night um, because I just leave my phone alone. If I'm on the farm, I do not have my phone with me. It stays up in the shed and I go and do a whole day of work on the farm. So I have I have certain things that stop that. Now, for the night, um, I wake up in the middle of the night, which is rare, but if I do, I will actually put a droning voice on. <laughs> oh, okay, yes. Yeah, I'll just put it in my ears and I'm asleep in five minutes. Oh, yeah. 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 It's just a, um, like I can't put anything on that's excitable, like no music, it doesn't work. It has to be a droning voice, a voice that's just methodical. So um, oh, what's his name? Um, One Earth. Um He's just got the, the the best droning voice to fall asleep to. <laughs> Excellent. I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, I'll have to remember what his name is. I, I can see him. Um, anyway, can't think of his name. So he has a good voice to put you to sleep. Excellent. Mm. I'm finding that quite challenging myself because we've got, you know, the practice management system. We've got a directory that we're launching to natural health practitioners. My mum of four. I still see some clients every now and then. And then we manage the... Um, the Wellness Couch now and the Your Health, Your Choice platform. And there is so much going on and your brain is just constantly going from here to here to here to here. And it is really challenging to switch off. But what I've noticed in the last couple of weeks is that part of the reason why I can't switch off is because 
if I'm heading down to my local organic shop to buy something to cook for dinner, my phone is nonstop ping, 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 ping. It's our developers. It's my business partner, my husband, a friend. You never get the opportunity just to focus on what you are doing. Yeah, you leave your phone at home or you or you, you just leave it in the car or you switch it off. Yeah. And, and you can switch the sound and the vibration off so you don't see it. Yeah. Um, I, I just I think we we are so distracted these days. Oh, and and, really. and take space. So I do a, a thing called a default diary. And my default diary is uh, when I'm going to write an article or uh, when I need to be at work or when I want to be on the farm or when do I answer, when do I get on my emails and when do I do my messages? So, um, you know, like I don't look at my phone all day. It won't be till 8.30 sometimes just before I go to bed, I'll get on it. And by the way, people have to learn this. I don't know if you've seen this. So it turns red. Uh, yes, I've got that on my phone too. So yeah. make sure we, you know, I just turn it on red, one, two, three. So I'm going to do it. So I just turn it on red if I get into bed, uh, before I get into bed um, and I go, oh, I've got to answer that, 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 that. And that might be just, yes, that's good. No, let's not do that. Um, but that's only my messages, my emails. I sit down during the day and I, I deal with the emails, um, you know, like you and I going uh, backwards and forwards. Um, I know I got to a point where I thought, oh, gosh, she sent that that day and I only got to you on Monday because the weekend I had my grandbaby and I, I, you know, like, so it's very much when I get to them, I get to them. And if somebody wants me in two hours on an email, sometimes it's, yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't work. So I think a default diary works really well that you say, I will answer my developer or this person or this person at this time. Yeah, that's brilliant. I actually yeah. love the idea of that. And then just even like you said, the basics of switching your phone off when you're out so that you can enjoy and pay attention to your environment rather than worrying about having to get back to someone. Because there's this incessant need in today's day and age that you feel like you've got to respond to people immediately, mm-hmm. whether it be email or SMS or your telegrams or your WhatsApps or your messengers. There's just so many distractions coming in and there's no time for the mind to quiet. And that's why you start seeing a lot of people really struggling to focus in their businesses. I've even seen a lot of people moving towards online groups where they'll literally join an online session where they have their video camera on and they're just accountable to whoever's on the other side of the video camera just so that they can say for this next hour, I'm going to focus on writing a nutritional plan for my client. I think if we've gone down that track that we need somebody to watch us while we work, there's a bigger problem here and I think it's really important for people to find a way in which they can switch themselves on and switch off from technology and switch off from the world so that their mind has got just that brief moment of time where it can just be present in the moment because it's so easy to be distracted and not even know what's going on in your surroundings. I don't know if you've noticed, probably not now, you're quite disciplined clearly, but that's something that I've definitely noticed within the last few weeks. So what you need to do, Anil, is train people as to how you answer messages. Mm. So if you answer immediately, they're going to expect that. Yeah, that's very but true. if you don't answer until the next day, they're going to expect that. So you have to train them. Do you see what I mean? It's about you training them that you're not on call all the time. And like I can sometimes have a message in my phone for two days and I'll I'll answer it then. Mm-hmm. And I will say to people, I'm so sorry, but I leave that message there so I get back to it and I don't answer you because otherwise if I open it and read it, I'm not going to see it again. It's going to go half a mile down the road. <laughs> yes, I've been known to do the same thing myself. Yeah, no, that's some great advice. Thank Please you. Do not look, you don't don't answer them until you are ready to because sometimes you know you see it and you go, Oh my gosh, it's going to take me ages. I don't have time to do that. <laughs> Unread. <laughs> yeah. like the story of my life. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some challenges that you faced in your business journey. How did you navigate through that? What lessons did you learn? Uh, what can you teach us about some of the things that you've learned in business? Um, I think the best thing my husband and I ever did. So it was just me. And I think he thought I had a little hobby. That's what my husband thought because he was a practitioner. He was earning good a good income for all of us. And I think he felt I had a hobby, but it was my love. It was actually my love. And he got sick of one-on-one and he was talking to another chiropractor and the chiropractor says, do you realise the the extent that your wife's business can become? And he goes, no. 
I have no idea. And and so we sat down with him for a day. We we hired him and we sat down with him for a day and he went through things that we could do. And we were got really excited. And then um, by chance, we learned about this incredible business coach and we had that business coach for 10 years. Wow. Now, I remember when how much money I was making and how much that business coach was going to be for the year. And it was 30% of what I was making. Wow. And I said to my husband, can we afford this? And he goes, can we afford not to do this? Mm-hmm. And so the way I looked at it is I looked at it as a university degree because I figured I was going to see this guy every week. He was going to teach me, uh, you know, do a lecture with me. And then I had to go and, and deal with it. And he was brilliant. He was absolutely, he took our business from, um, is that six figures to seven figures, like very, very quickly within six months to a year. We were, we were, and he, he said he couldn't even figure out the analytics of it in the end. Um, and it was only because we would sit with him every week. We'd have an hour. We would discuss things on measuring our business on what, you know, things like that. But it was actually my husband that came up with the first idea and and the first product that we ever put forward was salt with with the dulcina, which was the seaweed salt. And because he said he said to me, "How many people ask you this question?" You know, and and I I'd say to him, um, probably five. Every time I speak, someone will come up to me and say, "How do you make that salt up that you said?" And in my book, if you read my book, it's in there how to make it up. And yet everybody was asking the question. He said, well, why don't we make it up for them? And I said, well, that sounds like a good idea. So he, we bought salt from a local salt merchant here and we bought Dulce and we mixed it together, put it in a cranky thing with a label on it that we labelled ourselves. And we sold, I think it was, I think it was, I forget now, maybe 200, 250 kilos of salt in a week. What? <laughs> yeah. It was phenomenal. It was absolutely phenomenal. And we, and we went, so they just don't want to hear your information. They want you to do it for them. Oh, yeah. So then that was the beginning of us, you know, doing it. Um, so then the, the next chapter, Rapidura Sugar, and then the next chapter, and the next chapter, and the next chapter. And so each of the products that I have is about a chapter in the book. Um, and then, of course, the program started and the protocol and and then, yeah, we we just got um, bigger and bigger and um, and then and then I this is where I want to tell you about our fourth business and what happened. So over COVID, we um, you know things were shut down, and one of our products, which was in our ten best selling products in changing habits, uh, kind of disappeared overnight. The supplier couldn't get it to us. Um, it was it was a nightmare, and. We had to reduce, we never um, got rid of any team members, but we had to reduce our team's um, time at the office by 20%. We all talked about it and we all said, if nobody wants to lose our job, their jobs, this is what we're going to do. We're going to reduce everything by 20%, everybody's wage, everybody's time with us, everybody's going to be reduced by 20% in order for us to survive this. And so that's what we did. And everybody agreed to do it. And it was over COVID and um, yeah, it, and we only had to do it for the six to seven months. But what we learned from that was we will never be beholden to one supplier mm. ever. We will never be beholden to a packer. We will never be beholden anymore to anybody else that we would take over everything that we had given away for somebody else to do. So all our mixing, all our packing, all our labeling, all of our everything all of the ingredients came into Changing Habits, then the ingredients and the recipes were sent to someone in Brisbane. So time, um, packing, um, you know, like vehicles moving it, and then the same coming back to us. We were wasting time. We were wasting money. We were wasting um, precious resources such as packaging. You know, that was one thing I had a real angst about was the amount of packaging that this packaged foods came in. So um, we decided to take that over. And um, so we do all of our own mixing. We bought a mixing machine. We bought a labeler. We bought a date machine. We bought everything for changing habits. And so we then became the sole responsibility of where our ingredients were sourced from, our mixing, et cetera. 
And then um, a nutritionist that worked for us for six years had come up with a product and she said, well, would you do it for me? And we said, yeah, we'd love to do it for you. So that was our second client. So we called it the packing company. Mm-hmm. And so our first client was changing habits. Our second client was this nutritionist. And then um, I saw these two boys doing a program and they were selling somebody else's product. And I just said to them, why are you selling somebody else's product? You could have your own. And they said, we want to do it, but we don't know how to do it. And I said, I can do it for you. Oh, so we got those boys. And now we have, I think, 18 clients. The packing company has 18 clients. And if a product comes in that's got something in it that I wouldn't use, I say to them, why Why do you have this in here? Can we improve on your formula? Mm-hmm. Most people are thinking like us. But it, it what what's happening is that when we started years ago, there weren't many people like Changing Habits or Malrose or those those um, people that you see out there today that started creating product. There weren't many out there. Now everybody wants to create product. And uh, a friend of mine gave me a product that some friends of hers had created and I looked at it and I read the ingredients and and some of the ingredients were completely wrong. They were completely wrong. So sunflower lecithin Mm -hmm. is an emulsifier. So they had emulsifier, brackets, sun, S-U-N-F-L-O-U-R. Oh, yes. Lectin, L-E-C-T-I-N, closed bracket. And I went, there's no such thing as sunflower lectin. Well, there is, but no one would put it in a product. That would just be stupid. So I'm assuming this is sunflower lecithin, seeing it's a emulsifier. So all of a sudden I realised all these people are trying to put a product out. Um, they have a, a drive and a love and they want to do it, but they have no idea. And so they go either do it by themselves or they formulate it with a food chemist that says, oh, you should put a flavour and monk fruit and this and that in it. So when they come to us, we've been doing this for 15 years. So we know ingredients. We know where to source ingredients. We know um, how to mix ingredients. We know how to do everything. And so we now have become a place where people come um, in order to uh, create a product if they want to create one. or And we go all the way from sourcing the ingredients to sending it out to your um, clientele or your your customer. So many people um, who have a, um, you know, they, they do it from their garage and they can't market and they, can't, they haven't got time for anything else because they're mixing, packing, labelling, um, going to the post office, whereas the post office comes to us. We have such a huge amount of packages that go out every week. Thousands of packages go out every week from our warehouse and as a result we have an incredible um you know, credit rating with um, Australia Post and many other courier companies. So they now come to us because we'll send it out in a metre by metre by metre cube um, packing crate. So, yeah, so this is, that was how we started the fourth one. And everything that we've ever done has always been a need. So the Nutrition Academy was a need. The people were saying, we want to know more, we want to know more than your book how about you put a program, you know, like an education program together? And that was, that wasn't me thinking, oh, I should do this. It was enough people asked. And then enough people have asked about the packing company because the packing company was just for changing habits. But now, as I said, we've got 18 clients and the farm was a need. I could see what was happening in the food um, industry. I could see the agricultural, what was happening in agriculture, I wasn't happy. And I just said to my husband, we need to grow our own food. And that's why I bought the farm was was because of that reason. Um, and now the farm has become an education centre. We've got the Festival of Food and Farming happening and it became an education centre um, now because of what we're doing from biodynamics to natural sequence farming um, to syntropics, regen farming, cell grazing, multi-species um, pastures. Uh, and it's just so exciting to see what's happening on our farm and how people want to learn. They want to learn to grow their own food. So, yes, the four businesses uh, are overseen by a managing director. He's incredible. Uh, my husband uh, is under him. 
as far as he's always checking, can I help you with anything? Can I do anything? Um, although my husband's probably on top, but he's always under as well. It's quite amazing how he kind of goes between the two. And and for me, I, I get to play because I have an incredible team. I, but I, it's taken me 43 years to get here. Mm, that's fantastic. So a lot of practitioners are now looking into that space of how can I earn an additional income stream, especially for those that are still in one-on-one consults. And the biggest barrier for them is exactly that. It's where do I source the product from? Where do I get the labeling from? So I think that's absolutely fantastic. So where can our practitioners find out more about your company? Do you have a website, Cindy? Um, because we are, we just are getting clients organically, our website isn't up, but we are called The Packing Company. And if you just ring Changing Habits and ask for The Packing Company, Nathan or Ruth, uh, who head up The Packing Company. So Ruth is, Ruth's worked for me for ever, 12, 13 years. She was my event coordinator. Now she's procurement of ingredients and she is brilliant at, at it. So, um, and she, yeah, so if you, you'll just get either Nathan or Ruth and you just speak to them. And like most people have an idea, they just don't know how to do it. Yeah. So these um, boys that I said to them, you need your own product. You shouldn't be selling somebody else's. Uh, they just said, I've changed their life. Now I haven't changed their life. All I did was give them the information, allowed them to be more creative, and they sell to, I think they're selling to 20 or 30 countries around the world now, and they, they're they loving it. They just, they, they're no longer doing time for, or money for time. They're now realising that while they sleep, they're able to do well. And they're two young boys that are just making such a difference in people's lives. And they had a program selling someone else's product. So now they have a program with their product and their product just keeps expanding. Oh, can we do this now, Cindy? Oh, can we do this now, Cindy? And I go, yeah, we can do that for you. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I, you know what I love? I'm at my this age where I love helping people. Mm-hmm. I love helping the younger generation bring out the best product and help them um, do what they do best, which is their marketing. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to bother with the posting and the this and the that, but I have a team that does that. You know, we have an incredible team that does that. And because I've been doing it for so long, um, yeah, it just, um, it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. It's a brilliant for, um, opportunity for practitioners to be able to get in and have their own products as well without the, the headache and hassle behind it. So on that note, obviously you've been in business for such a very long time. Do you have any common mistakes that you see businesses make and any suggestions on how they might be able to steer clear of making those mistakes? Oh, businesses make. Um, I think they don't measure their metrics. They don't know, you know, what their cogs are, um, which is your expenses, uh, and they don't know where they're making their profit or where they're spending their money. Um, So I learned very, very quickly from our business coach measuring metrics all the time, always measuring. And, you know, like while I don't do that anymore, I don't have much to do with that. I've stepped away from that role. My husband has that role and he's always, uh, he doesn't do the um, the reports. He won't bring the, re- he doesn't have to do the reports. Our managing director brings us the reports every week. I don't even look at reports anymore. I just, it's just not, what I need to do because I've got other things that I do like talk to you. <laughs> I do all the fun things. Like my son says to me, Mom, you don't come to the farm to work. You had like come to the farm to play, you know. <laughs> well, after all of the hard work you have done, Miss Cindy, for such a long time, I think you very much deserve to have the fun now. <laughs> Thank you. And do you know what metrics exactly your husband's is measuring? Is it your return on investment? Is it your Google Analytics? Is it your pay-per-click ads? Like, Is there any specific things that you know of that they're measuring? So I did write some things down because I rang my team. When you sent me through the questions, I thought, oh, I can't answer eight and nine. So I rang <laughs> my team. Um, so it's constant reports, KPIs um, with marketing, finger on the pulse, Um so we've just done a um, like a promotion. It's called Win With Wellness. So we do a, a promotion for six to eight weeks and um, like every year it's something that they win. And this year it's a Thermomix and I deliver it and do a three-hour um, cooking demonstration with them with, with a, a Thermomix demonstrator. Like the year before we gave away 20000 So we then figure out 
what people want. So we've done this with Wing with Wellness, I think, five years now. First one we did was a Thermomix giveaway. I deliver. I spend time with the the people and their friends, and 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 that's that's what we found works better than giving away twenty grand. Believe it or not. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. It was it was interesting. And then Beck, my um, who works in TNA, she's my marketing in TNA. She says if your face is on there with Tanya, my daughter. Um, because we've done a little bit, she's a nutritionist for, as well. If your two faces are on there, there's more click-throughs than if I, I just have a random on there. So, yes, they're doing the analytics. I don't do that, but they tell me every now and then, oh, by the way, this is what's working for us. Can we do some more video with you, Cindy? So after this, I'm doing video um, for a couple of things that we're we're doing. So, yes, we do Google Analytics, um, set realistic goals, um, so when we when we started with our business coach, we were doubling. We would go, we'd be making this much money, and then we'd double that, and then we'd double that, and then we'd double that. And I think we did it three times, and that was quite extensive. And then we just stood still for a while. We just stayed there. We didn't go down. We just stood still. And then we had COVID happen, and things went down. But now we're back up. So I think it was having realistic goals. Um, Karen, who's my uh, operations manager, she said to me, it's really important to have realistic goals. Don't think you can double your business every time because once you get to one point, then it's a percentage growth that you will have. Mm -hmm. So, but I think most of all is the business coach taught us how to do these. Mm -hmm. And, And we did 10 years with him. Um, and he was an action coach. I don't know if people have heard of action coach, but that started with Brad Sugars. And I have to tell you, Brad Sugars and I did um, uh, national speakers together in Brisbane. And I remember him as a young man just starting out and where he is today with action coaching. He has coaches all over the world. So there is a model that has worked. So you know that his coaches uh, are running his model and if his business is successful in coaching, then you know his coaches are going to be successful. And I remember we started with um, Bruce is who we had, Bruce Campbell um, from the Sunny Coast. And when we started with Bruce, he was in just a one-room place with a, a boardroom, a, a board table that could fit three of us. That was it. I look at his business now and he's huge. He, he is huge. So not only did we grow with him, but he grew his own business and now he is coaching, like he's he's made action coach of the of the world, you know, of the year um, for the last I don't know how many years. We were just fortunate. We were told he was there and we went to him in the beginning of his career and um, and he just taught us exactly what action coaches teach. And he obviously did he, that for his own business as well. And even though it wasn't in health, it was still it was still business. And, you know, for me, I'm really good at nutrition and food and things like that, but I wasn't good in business. Mm. I didn't understand business. So to have a business coach that can coach you through what you do need, and I would just give him, we would give Bruce our figures and then Bruce would run through them. He'd have his own analytics. He'd then go through and say, right, this is where we're doing well. This is where we're not doing well. This is what we need to do and blah, 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 blah. And it was brilliant. Mm. So if you do not have a coach, like everybody has a coach, but if you are running a business and you want to do well in business and you've never done a business course, can I recommend a business coach and a good one? Yeah. Absolutely. And worth think, their weight in gold. Yeah, absolutely. And it comes down to accountability. Like as self-employed people, if you're not accountable to anyone, it's very easy to let things slide. I know when I was, I started my business when I was 19 as a myotherapist and built it into a multidisciplinary practice. I had no idea how much money I was making and I didn't care as long as I could pay the bills and I was helping my clients. I was, that was happy. But I got into, I don't know, about 10 years of running my business and thought, where's all my money gone? Where am I even making money? And the reality was that I just had no idea about how well my business was doing. All I knew was that my patients were happy by then. I'd opened up a gym and a Pilates studio and my gym members and my Pilates people were all happy. But 
what is there on the bottom line? And I thought I've spent so long giving so much back into my business, but where's the financial reward for my family? And that's when I engaged somebody to help me look at my metrics in my business. And it just transformed the way you do things. It didn't become, I've never been somebody who chases money. It's I, I can't, I can't run after money. I've got to run after a goal. But what I quickly realized is that you can make money and it's okay to make money as a practitioner. Uh, provided you're still chasing your passion and you're doing things ethically. So accountability is absolutely huge for any business owner. But yeah, understanding their basic numbers, how their businesses are performing. And I think the other important thing in business is split testing. Like you just mentioned, if your daughter and yourself are there on the ads, they know this because they ran a generic person, they ran a photo of you and your daughter, and they know that the one with you and your daughter was the one that did better in the way of clicks. So looking at images and headlines and split testing your copy is where you can really maximize your metrics in your business and understand how you're growing. So yeah, that's fantastic. Now you're the changing habits queen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you have any <laughs> practical strategies and techniques that you'd like to share with practitioners on how they can embrace uh, habits that can help them lead to growth and success? You have to look after yourself. Number one, you are the only person that you can change. Uh, you cannot change anybody else. And I know it's frustrating. All you can do is give them the information and let it go. And I, I think I learned that very, very easily or very quickly, I should say, not easily, but quickly. Uh, and 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 no matter how you try and you know you can help people, it's them. They have to take your information and they have to act on it. It's just like when people say, oh, Cindy, you changed my life. And I went, no, I didn't. I've given the same information to thousands of people. And some, their life changes because they, they act on it and others, they don't. So with, with changing habits, it's about you acting on helping yourself, number one, and getting yourself right. So for me, my morning routine is non-negotiable. Mm. I have to do that every morning because it sets me up for the day. It makes me feel good. Even though this morning I woke up and I go, I don't want to swim today. It's too cold. Mm. That, that was my attitude. That was my attitude. But because I meet a friend I can't let her down I thought well I'll breathe and have coffee I'll do that you know so you breathe and I'm looking at the ocean while I'm doing my breath work and it's flat it's calm it's crystal clear and how could you not swim in that you know (laughs) so then you know then it's just you just have someone that makes you accountable when it comes to things like this, that you have to meet her. You can't leave her in the dark on that rock on the ocean. <laughs> yes, showing You up. have to be there, you know, even though I've just I decided not to swim this morning, but I did. I swam. I swam. <laughs> you, it's I don't know what it is. It's like this mind thing that you have. So um that accountability, not only in business, but in your personal life as well, is really important. Yeah. Meet somebody. Some people are good at doing them by themselves, but I I, I need that accountability sometimes because sometimes I just go, oh, I'll just go do that, you know. Yeah. So you set those things up, you set your default diary up, you know. Um, and, and as far as changing habits, so uh, the reason I I I did breath work for three years, I got bored with it, I didn't want to do it anymore. So I stopped. And um, my summit this year, we had Matt Omo and Guy Lawrence. And at the end of their sound healing and breath work that we did, we do always do something like that at the end of the summit to integrate in what they've learned. So we, we had those guys and they said, I want you to commit for a week to either a meditation or some breath work. A week. That's all I ask. So I, I rang my friend and I said, right, we're getting back into breath work. Um, let's meet at here. And, like, for the first week it was like, you know, you're like you're just swearing away, not wanting to do it. Um, it's like when you go on a hike. It's called hiker's amnesia. You know, it's a really hard hike, and it's hard work, and you twisted something, and you're sweating, and it's heavy, and you're thirsty, and you get to the top, and you go, "Oh wow, I love hiking." <laughs> yeah. So it's the same with the breath work. Is that for seven days we committed to do it, and then I became addicted again. So now it's I can't wait to get sitting on that rock to do my fifteen minute breath work, um, and then I can move on with my my day. So persist. Mm, yeah, I know that feeling. Yeah, until I- it becomes addictive. 
Um, and swimming has been addictive to me for 10 years, ocean swimming, um, my coffee in the morning. I didn't start doing that until I was in my 50s, but I find that a really good time to laugh and meet people and have my social life. Otherwise, I don't have a social life. Mm-hmm. I have my family. That's my biggest social life. But I don't have friends outside my family so much because my family take up all my time, my grandbabies, my in-laws, my, you know, all of that take up so much time. Um, and I like being with them. They're fun, you know, they're fun. So I hope that um, answers your question. Yeah, I've been doing the same myself. I'm usually up by about 5, 5.30 in the morning. So I've got four young children and, as you know, a few businesses that we manage as well. And I can totally relate. There's some mornings when I wake up and I think, oh, I just can't get up early today. I just need that sleep. But those days when I take that extra sleep, I feel so much worse. Whereas the days where I push myself to get up and do my walk and get my dinner ready, you know, get the kids' lunch boxes ready, clean the house, get the laundry on. I start my day at about 9, 9.30 in the morning when I get to my desk and the house is cleaned and the dishes are done and the laundry's done and the kids have got a nice, healthy, organic lunch packed for them and I've got dinner prepped and it just makes my day so much more smoother. So that's that euphoric feeling that it's so hard sometimes to do it, but you know if you persist and push through, on the other end, that euphoric feeling is so worth and, and so much more valuable than that extra 15 minutes of sleep or 30 minutes of sleep that, you know, you've taken. So, yeah, I can certainly relate to that. And you know what? I've never, ever said when I have hopped in the water, uh, when I'm like pushing myself to hop in, I've never said, oh, I regret that. Yes, absolutely. absolutely <laughs> you never regret it. <laughs> you don't. You don't. Absolutely. I'm not fortunate enough to have a an ocean close by to me, but we go on holidays every year to the Mornington Peninsula and we'll always get a place that's within a half an hour walk of the beach. And without fail, I'll get up and I'll do my morning swim. It's usually some a little bit easier for me than it is for you during the winter period. But that is my absolute dream. I mean, the benefit of just being in the ocean, the the serenity, the feelings that you get, it's so worthwhile. But even now I can't have, I don't have a beach, but I'll go for a walk. I'll do a 20 minute yoga session. There's those little things that you just get that opportunity to be completely disconnected from the world and focusing on something that makes you feel good. And I think the importance of that cannot be underestimated. So two more questions I've got for you, Miss Cindy. Let's see how we go for time. You talk a lot about personal development being the best version of yourself to make a true impact. You're a massive crusader on a mission to help as many people as possible, which is so admirable. But can you elaborate on this and provide some practical ways for practitioners to cultivate personal growth? Oh, in the, in every, it's not like I want to help as many people. I got I to gotta change that. It's mm. not like I, I have a mission to help as many people as I can. I have a mission to be the best version of myself that I can. Love that. And then by example, I may be able to influence my family and friends. And with their love and support, we might be able to influence a community, a country and a planet. So everything I've ever done is about information for me me first. I'm curious, what does that mean? How can I do that? How can I change? So breath work, that's interesting. Maybe I'll give that a go. Swimming, ocean swimming. So it's it's never been about I want to change the world because I can't change the world. I can't. I can only change me. So being the best version of yourself creates you as an example um, and an influence. Does that does that help? And and however way you go about doing that is a, it is about staying in movement. Like my husband's the best at this, so he he always says, if you don't know what to do, just move. Mm-hmm. He's like, care what you do, just move. If you just don't lay in bed and do nothing, get up and move. Even if it's to go for a walk, even if it's to talk to somebody, do just get up and move. So. Um, so that's a start. So for us, I remember um, my dad, I guess, really started this whole thing for me. So he loved Earl Nightingale. So as a 15-year-old back in the 60s and 70s, I'm listening to Earl Nightingale. So I was kind of brought up in this, you know, bit different life than I think most people were brought up in. And then from there it was Tony Robbins in 95, uh, my husband and I both walked on fire and did Tony Robbins. 
And, and I noticed that what I do is that I get enough from somebody and then I morph to somebody else. So right then it was Joe Dispenza. I loved Joe Dispenza. I wanted to learn about meditation. And then the next thing was breath work. So it's about, it's about you moving. It's about you discovering what works for you. And remember, if I hadn't have done that protocol all those years ago and created um, a very smooth line protocol that has helped people lose 80 kilos. We've just had someone come in over 18 months, lose 80 kilos, change her life. Um, and, you know, so if I hadn't have done that for me, then I wouldn't have been doing it for everybody else that has done it. Thousands and thousands of people have done that program and that protocol. So in order for you to be the best version of yourself, you're experimenting all the time. You're trying new things. You're you're seeing what works. And then you get excited about it and you want to tell everybody. Mm-hmm. So when I read the book Breath by James Nestor, I told everybody about it, you know, you've got to read this book. Let's do breath work. Everybody's on the beach. We had like 15 people laying on the beach, on the beach doing breath work during COVID yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at, at 4.30 in the morning, you know. Oh, so- incredible. It's it's about as you get excited about things and you you're able to create an excitement with other people and and that's how I've done it. I don't know if it's the right way. I've no idea, but when people say, you know, you want to get to as many people as you can, no I don't. Mm. All I want to do is do the best that I can do for me um and my family, I guess. And then and then I get excited and passionate and I get, you know, like I become an evangelist, as somebody said. You're just an evangelist, Cindy. That's all you are. <laughs> and my, my dad used to say, I, I'm just the victim of the last book your mother wrote. I read. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and so everybody's a victim of the last book I read, you know. Yeah. But, you know, I just, I, like, if it works. And, and what I find is that it does work. It seems to, and you're the same, you know, mm. you you uh, get excited about something and then you start a business about it. And then, you know, there's no way with four kids to, are most people doing what you're doing. You love it. You get passionate. You get excited. You want to sh- share what you've learned. And that's what it is. If you haven't learned it, you can't share it. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, excellent. So let's finish off with the last question. What is your one piece of advice to natural healthcare practitioners aiming to build a successful and fulfilling business? Look after yourself first. Yeah, I love that. Cindy, you are an absolute gem. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you for your time. I hope our listeners have got a lot out of this. I know I certainly have. So I really appreciate your time. Now, if people want to find out more about you, they can find you on Instagram and all social media accounts under Cindy O'Meara. Uh, as well as the Changing Habits website and social media accounts. So thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for tuning in today and I look forward to having you join me in the next episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date with the latest releases and for more helpful tips, look for me on Instagram under the handle Practice. This podcast is proudly sponsored by My Appointments.